So let's open with a word of prayer and we'll dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. And what a privilege it is to gather together in your name. And Lord, we long to see you face to face. But until then, may we be faithful to what you have called us to do. As we go to your word right now, we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, less of the speaker and more of your spirit. May you minister to every heart. I pray for those who've had a long day at work, maybe a little weary. Make this the most attentive hour of our day. Speak to us, Lord. Minister to our hearts. I pray for those that are watching on live stream, those that will watch this later or hear it on the radio, that your word would go forth with power and transform lives. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. So we've been going through the kings for quite a while. And as we know that because of the disobedience and the unfaithfulness of Solomon, the kingdom was split in two. And so Israel's the 10 northern tribes and the two southern tribes. We're going to talk about one of the kings of Judah tonight. The two southern tribes, and that's where Jerusalem is, and that's where the temple is. And we've been looking in the last uh, several chapters, Judah's had some good kings. Uh, We had Uzziah, if you guys were here a couple weeks ago, and then Jotham, his father. And so we saw that there were kings in Judah that were godly. There were zero godly kings in Israel throughout all the time of the kings. But tonight we're going to see a guy that challenges uh, Ahab and Jezebel for who's the worst king that there ever was in the kingdom of Israel and Jerusalem. Now, he's in Judah, so he's going to be the worst king in Judah by far. But to catch us up, last week or two weeks ago, we talked about how God reigns in uncertain times. If you have an outline, grab it. I tell the message, you got to serve somebody, and we all do. You're all serving the devil or the Lord, right? Have you guys remember the old uh, Bob Dylan song? You got to serve somebody, right? And we all serve somebody. And we're going to see tonight, sadly, that this king we're going to look at tonight, he had a godly grandfather and a godly father, and he is going to go so far away from what his dad and his grandfather, and more importantly, the, you know, his ancestor, King David. And we're going to see that this man gets so far away. And we're going to see, I'm going to challenge all of us tonight, that we too, as believers in Christ, we need to be an example. But we got we to be careful because we can fall into the trap of getting caught up in the things of the world. And that's exactly what's going to happen tonight with King Ahaz. So if you have your outline, grab it. You got to serve somebody. First, we're going to see the depths of the depravity of man. The heart of man apart from God and the empowering work of the Holy Spirit is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Oh, I just came tonight for the first time and you're telling me I'm wicked as soon as I get to church. Hey, we're all sinners in need of a savior. Amen. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now in Christ, we are holy in him. He sees us through the shed blood of his son. But the reality is there's just no depths to the depravity of man. We're going to see that loud and clear in tonight's text. Number two, trusting the Lord or pursuing the world. What are you doing with your life? When you wake up in the morning, is the pursuit that you have on your heart and mind, is it to draw closer to the Lord or is it with the things of this world? Now, we're in the world, but not of it, right? The, the boat's in the water, but the water's not in the boat, amen? So we're in the world, but not of it, but we need to go to work. We need to be the best workers in the building. We need to honor God. We want to be a Christ-like example. So we're not going to go sit up on a hill somewhere and contemplate our navels and wait for the Lord to come back, amen? We're going to be in the world, ministering to the world. But that being said, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. 
What is the priority and passion of your life? Point number three, you're drawing closer to the Lord or further away from him. I catch heat whenever I use this illustration, but I keep using it because I believe it's true. Christianity is like a grease pole, either climbing up or sliding down. No one's staying in the same place. You're either growing in the Lord or your walk is fading away from him. Because if you're in the word every day, you can't help but grow. Amen? And if you're chasing after the things of the world, you can't help but fade away. And so we're going to see in tonight's text, drawing closer to the Lord or further from him. Trust the Lord in his word, not the ungodly examples of man. By the way, there is no substitute for the cross of Calvary. And Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. Amen? And the world tries to bring substitutes, tries to draw our eyes away tries to get us to focus on anything else but the simplicity of the cross. And by the way, Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. Fourth, newer isn't always better. Here's the reality. If it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. And we're going to see that new things can be better. You know, God can use technology so we can minister to people. But we're not, we, we must not allow the things that are new today to take the place of the simplicity of the gospel. Amen? We are to teach the truth and teach it simply. And then finally, worldly success means nothing if you don't know Jesus. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? We're going to see a man tonight that seems to gain a great deal. And we're going to see that he might be a great candidate for a lot of churches today to be their pastor. Because this guy is charismatic. He's actually a pretty nice guy. He's actually into updating everything. And a lot of pastors I meet, when we have a conversation, you know, they'll be talking about the latest thing that they're doing to, to draw the crowd or the latest, you know, method or whatever it is. And as a pastor, I've been a pastor 33 years, and there's not a week that goes by where I don't get something in my email or in Facebook about how to grow the church. And oh, there's this thing that we need to do. And we know what we need to do. We just need to make disciples. And healthy sheep beget healthy sheep. Amen? And when you're in love with the Lord, you're going to invite people. And we're not worried. And again, we want to make disciples, not try to see, again, grow our ministry. The ministry is all about Jesus. So let's begin there looking at, you got to serve somebody, the depths of the depravity of man. And I want to tell you these first few verses are just absolutely shocking and how depraved a man whose dad was Uzziah, a man who was a godly man, who wasn't perfect, who still allowed some things to take place that shouldn't have. And this man is going to get so far away from the Lord. It says, in the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. So Jotham, Uzziah, and now Ahaz. So Ahaz is the king of the south. And whenever they give you the timeline, they always tell you who's the king in the other place. So during the time that Pekah was reigning in Israel, Ahaz becomes the king of Judah. And again, he had godly examples, godly people that he could follow. But sadly, verse two, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, his God, as his father David had done. So after a time of two good, solid kings, again, far from perfect, they still allowed uh, you know, worship on the hillsides outside of Jerusalem where it should have been taking place. They allowed that to continue. 
and have been continuing for decades and generations. But other than they would really love the Lord. But we're going to see that, uh, again, we have these two godly men, and it's so sad that each of them had said, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And then it says that this king, he did not do what was right. And guys, it's pretty much that simple. Are you doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord? Or are you not doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord? And again, I'm not saying that we're sinless, but as Christians, we should sin less. And the way that we view sin should change radically because now the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Amen. Now, sadly, he's the king. Now, remember, in case we lose track of this, he's the king over Judah, where Jerusalem dwells, the city of David, where the temple is over God's people that he had delivered out of bondage in Egypt, who he gave victory over the Canaanites, and God had done a mighty work, and he is now their king. And he should be an example. He did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. I don't want that on my tombstone. How about you? Now it's sad. We're going to find out, but look what it says here. And I'm going to refer to another part of scripture. I won't have you turn. I'm just going to read it to you. But he did not do as his father David had done. He rejected those godly examples. He decided to walk in his own way. He had Jotham, Uzziah, and David. Then it says in verse three, but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Now the sad part is Israel had had nothing but wicked kings. So when you're compared to the kings of Israel, then you're being compared to somebody who was wicked. But watch this, this is where it gets really tragic. Indeed, he made his son pass through the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom God had cast out from before the children of Israel. He walked in the way of the kings of Israel. And this is the first instant where we see the, uh, someone in Judah who brings the apostasy that was taking place in Israel. And we get a good description of what was going on in his life in Micah chapter seven. Don't turn your Bible. I'll just read it to you. It says this, the faithful man has perished from the earth and there is no one upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. Every man hunts his own brother with a net, that they may, be, they may successfully do evil with both hands. They're doing evil with both hands. The prince asks for gifts. The judge seeks a bride. The great man utters his evil desire. So they scheme together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. The day of the watchman and your punishment comes. Now shall be their perplexity. Do not trust in a friend. Do not put your confidence in a companion. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in, her, in your bosom. For a son dishonors his father. A daughter rises against her mother. A daughter daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. Therefore, I look to the Lord. I wait for the Lord. My salvation, my God will hear. Micah's crying out to the Lord because the world around him, it's all evil. It's all perverse. It's all wandered away from the Lord. And this all happened while Ahaz was king. So guys, when we have an ungodly king and we choose to follow him in any way, shape, or form, we become ungodly as well. And this is why we do not follow men, we follow the Lord. And we are to submit to the authority that God has placed over us, but if we have an ungodly government or an ungodly governor or an ungodly boss that tells us to do something contrary to the word of God, we listen to God and not man. 
Amen? And we obey God rather than man. Such depravity describes the time of Ahaz's reign, a time when a godly remnant could trust no one but the Lord. One of the things I've been doing, if you're new to the church, my son passed away uh, six weeks ago, and I've been reading through his Bible and reading in his margins. And one of the things that really ministered to me today, it says, God sees the tears. He wrote this himself in his own writing. He says, God sees our tears and hears our cry. Pray amidst all trials and adversity. Love Jesus with all we have, no matter what trial we are in. So here's my son writing from, I'm writing it and he's in heaven. And he's ministering to me right where I am right now. But see, that's what was going on in the time of Ahaz. Because the people that knew the Lord were looking around and all they saw was evil all around them. And it's heartbreaking when you're walking with the Lord and you're surrounded by evil. God sees our tears and he hears our cries. Now notice this. This is so tragic. It says, indeed, looking back there in verse 3, he made his son pass through the fire. Now, this is the worship of the god Molech. Now, Molech, the way that they would worship him, he was made, their, their gods they created were made of iron. And they would heat these gods up, this god, this idol, it's not a god. They would heat this idol up until its hands were bright red from the heat. And then as a sacrifice, they would take a newborn child and place it in the hands of the burning Molech and the babies would fry to death. And they would play drums to drown out the screaming of the children that they were offering to Molech. Ahaz offered his own son to Molech. How far away from God is this guy? How far away is he from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? How far away is he from true worship that he would worship a false God killing his own son in such a tragic way? We can look at Molech and we can say, wow, what a depraved society. Well, guess what? Some of the abortions that take place, they inject women with something that causes the babies to fry in the womb. Guys, we've killed millions upon millions upon millions of babies in this country, calling it choice or convenience or whatever you want. And the reality is, we're no better than the people that offered their babies to Molech as a nation. Amen? And the reality is that we should be just as, just as shocked and just as heartbroken about what's going on in our nation as what I just told you about with Molech. Amen. If you didn't know this, our church, we support, I always forget the name of it, but it's the, it used to be Crisis Pregnancy Center. It's called something else now. And we give monthly to that ministry. And what they do is they do free ultrasounds. It changes women's mind and it saves babies' lives and praise God for that. But I want you to see the depravity of the king who's ruling over God's people that he's sacrificing his own son to Molech. Uh, Molech, it's demonic. There's just no word about it, word about behind it. And I believe that's true, that every idol that exists, uh, I believe there's a demon behind every one of them. When I've been to India seven times, teaching pastors to study and teach the Bible, and I went through the largest Hindu temple. And some of you say, why did you do that? I was just I'm not worried about it. They have 30 idols that don't, 30, 30 million idols that don't exist. Amen. So I'm not afraid. 
But I was just, and I'm walking through and people are crying out to statues of elephants and crying to statues of, of monkey gods and all these crazy things. And I just want to shout at the top of my lungs, there's a true and living God. These idols are all, they're dead idols. Why is it the first two commandments is have no other God before me and no graven image? And here's the king of God's people offering his son as a sacrifice to a demonic God. You need to know that God is more repulsed about it than we are. Here's what it says in Leviticus. God pronounced a death sentence against all who worship Molech. It's in the Bible. Okay, it's Leviticus 20 verses one through five. God pronounced a death sentence against all who worship Molech saying, I will set my face against that man. I will cut him off from his people because he has given some of his descendants to Molech to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. Do you know God is the creator of every human being? And when we kill, when we put a baby to death, the good news is they close their eyes on earth and open them up in glory, Amen but it just shows the depravity of man where we would kill the most innocent among us. A man even as great as Solomon at least sanctioned the worship of Molech and built a temple to this idol back in 1 Kings 11. This is the reason why the kingdom had been cut into two pieces. One of the great crimes of the northern, northern tribes of Israel was their worship of Molech leading to Assyrian captivity. Because they worshiped Molech, God let them be captured. Same reason that they spent 430 years in captivity in Egypt, because they began to worship false gods. We as a nation need to repent. We need revival in our country. Amen? Because our country is getting further and further and further away from the Lord. But here's the good news. Even if they take Bible out of school, they can't shut us up. Amen? No matter what they do, no matter what laws they pass, the good news is we still serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's still in control. He's still a faithful God. And guess what? People are still going to keep getting saved because God's not done. Amen? And we need to continue to be unashamed of the gospel. So what did God do to the Canaanite nations that practiced such demonic murder of innocent children? He cast them out of their land. He wiped out entire cities. Now remember, when the children of Israel came into Canaan, they were wiping out groups of people, wiping out entire cities. And a lot of people come and say, Pastor, that doesn't seem fair. But keep in mind that they had been worshiping demonic idols, offering their children as sacrifices for hundreds of years, and God finally brought righteous judgment. Amen. Now he suffers long, but he's not going to suffer always. What will God do to the children of Israel as they walk in the same sins? God will bring similar judgment upon them that he brought upon the Canaanites when they came into the land. So this is their king. He sets his son on fire on the hands of a demonic idol. And again, we as a nation are headed in the wrong direction. Lord, help us not to be desensitized to such ungodly and demonic behavior. When I'm talking about Molech, I've heard all of you going, oh, but do we still do that about abortion? You know, do we still do that about drive-by? I remember the first time I heard about a drive-by shooting. I thought, you gotta be kidding me. Somebody just drove by and put bullets into a house. You gotta be kidding me. And now you've heard it so many times, you don't even listen. Guys, we need to not be desensitized to sin, amen? We need to recognize it for the heartbreak that it is. It's the, it's the Christian remnant that keeps God from pouring out righteous judgment 
on our nation. Then it says there at the end of verse 3, according to the abominations of the nations who the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. Now that's speaking of Canaan. The Canaanites, when they came into the land, the giants were in the land. God gave them victory because they were evil. Verse 4, and he sacrificed and burnt incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. When Joshua brought the Israelites into the promised land, they were warned about the kind of wicked things that the people of land had been doing. And the Israelite conquerors were not just taking the land for Israel, they were bringing God's judgment again upon these wicked people. Guys, we're supposed to be different. And now here is Ahaz not only offering to Molech, but he's burning to all the false idols. He's making sacrifices to all the false gods. You know, the only one he's not worshiping is the true and living God. Isn't it amazing that people don't get offended about Buddhism or Hinduism? They don't get angry about, uh, about other religions. But boy, you talk about Jesus and people get all kinds of upset. And the reason is that Christianity is the truth and the cross of Christ is a stone of offense. Amen? It's the cross of Christ that offends people. I shared with you guys that my other three children made a, a cross and put it up on the hill above my house after my son uh, went to heaven. And within a week, someone had taken it down. We'd put our phone number on it. Please don't take this down. If you do, let us know. We'll come get it. And somebody stole it and walked away with it. I guarantee if I put a Buddha up on that hill, it would have been there until the Lord came back. Amen. Because the cross, oh, yeah, I'm looking at that. That's offensive to me. Under every green tree, he worshiped anything and everything. He, he was covering his bases. You ever met anybody like that? Well, I kind of just believe in all religions. I just believe, you know, I believe in Jesus, but I believe in Buddha and I believe in Hinduism and I believe in Allah and I, I believe in the new age movement. And I believe many years ago, before I was a pastor, and I was in my early twenties. I went to visit a friend of mine in San Diego and he knew I was a Christian and he was a, a kind of a devout atheist who loved to argue. And so he took me out into his garage and on his pool table, he pulled out the you know, the Hindu writings and the Bible, and he laid them all out on the pool table. And he said, how come these people believe this and 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 these people believe this? And he said, you know, either they're all true or they're all a lie. And I said, well, that's nonsense. And I said, first of all, they can't all be true because they believe in reincarnation. They believe uh, in karma, right? Uh, they believe, you know, and you go down around the list and they all disagree with each other. And we believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, that he's coming back, that he's the creator of all things. And we, these all disagree with each other. And I want to agree with you one, only one of them can be true. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. So here's King Ahaz worshiping everything but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Everything but the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he's, where does he live? He lives in Jerusalem. He lives near the temple. Remember his uh, father had built a pathway so he could go back and forth to the temple quickly and easily so he could worship the Lord frequently. And now here's his son who's worshiping anything and everything but the Lord. The problem with the Again, a religious connoisseur like this who, who just believes in everything, it disagrees clearly with you shall have no other gods before me. 
You shall have no graven image. And Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. See, Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Amen? Now, it wasn't the time of Jesus yet. But they knew they were pointing to the one who was coming. And David, you know, was the, and it's through their line. It's through, does this blow your mind? It's through King Ahaz's line that Jesus is going to come. The guy offering children to Molech, one of his descendants is going to be Jesus. The only reason that Ahaz and all the people in, in Judah don't get wiped off the face of the earth is because God had made a promise to King David that through his line, the Messiah would come. And guess what? God's faithful to his promises. Amen? And we can trust him. And I'll tell you what, that gives me peace. Point number two, point number one, the depths of the depravity of man. It's just tragic how depraved man can be. Point number two, trusting the Lord or pursuing the world. Look at verse five. Then raising king of Syria and Pekah, the son of Ramallah, king of Israel, came upon Jerusalem to make war. And they besieged Ahaz, but could not overcome him. So Syria joins Israel and they attack Judah. What a, I hate the word dysfunctional, but if it ever meant, because dysfunctional just means sinful. Can I get an amen to that? I come from a dysfunctional family. We all do. Amen? We all had sinful parents. Nobody's family was perfect. We're all saved by grace. Amen? Don't use that word as an excuse to sin. But isn't it blow your mind that the 10 northern tribes are attacking Judah? They're attacking their, their relatives, they're attacking the other descendants of Abraham, and they're teaming up with Syria, which is a bunch of idolaters who are coming with them. But notice that Ahaz can't be defeated. And you would think, again, why not? I'll tell you why not. Because Jesus was going to be one of his descendants. He's still going to be right, righteously judged, but God is going to allow his kingdom to continue. It says in Isaiah 7, it makes it clear that the goal of the attack was to dethrone Ahaz and set up a Syrian king over Judah, a, a certain son of Tabel. On the whole, Judah suffered terrible losses in the attack. King Ahaz lost 120,000 soldiers, 200,000 civilian hostages who were carried away in the battle with Syria. We know this from Chronicles 28. And combined, they could not overthrow the kingdom itself, even though they brought great damage again because God had made promises to David. When the great number of captives was taken to Samaria, the capital city of the northern kingdom in Israel, a strange and wonderful thing happened. A prophet named Obed rebuked the army uh, managing the captives and called on them to return to Judah. And, and we can see that again in Chronicles. I love Kings, but when you, when you study Kings, you've got to read the companion text because Chronicles always has more. Tells you a lot more. And Obed, we know, is a prophet that was used mildly by God. These leaders in Israel responded, realizing they had already offended the Lord and risked offending him further. So they clothed and fed the captives and returned them home. So these 200, here's what they would do often. When they would have a victory, they would take captives and they would assimilate them into their country, which would, you know, remember Daniel. What did they do to Daniel? Azariah, Mishael, right? Hananiah, they took them and they changed their language. They tried to change their language. They changed their names. They indoctrinated them in what they were teaching. And what they were trying to do was make them Babylonians. And that's exactly what the world wants us to do. Guys, if you're, 
Look, I'm as patriotic as they get, but way before I'm an American, I'm a Christian. Amen? I'm thankful for our country. I praise God for our country. But you know what? When I get to heaven, I won't care one bit about this country because it won't be here. Amen? We're gonna, it's what are we done with God's son that really, really matters. So God's promises, he's faithful. They besieged Ahaz, but they could not overcome him. They could not overcome God's promise to David that again, out of the line of David, the Messiah would come. It's interesting, and again, in Isaiah 7, it prophesies of the announcement of Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. And it's prophesied literally during uh, what Isaiah describes is going on here in tonight's chapter. The king of Israel and Syria thought of themselves as burning torches who had come and destroyed Judah and the dynasty of David. And God said they were like burnt out smoking sticks who could not ultimately do much damage. That's Isaiah 7 verse 4. So it says there they were attacked. Then it says verse 6, at that time Rezin king of Syria captured Eloth of Syria and drove the men of Judah from Eloth, and the Edomites went to Eloth and dwell there to this day. Verse 7. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. What in the world? He reaches out to the Assyrians who are idol worshiping, godless people who had attacked. God's people. And instead of getting on his knees and praying, he cries out to his enemy and says, I'm your son. I'm your servant. I'm going to align with you so that if they ever come back to attack me again, I have someone to help me. Guys, don't run to the world when you're going through trials and difficulty for help. Run to the Lord. Amen. Now, again, you know, God may use someone in the world to minister to you, but guys, we run to the Lord, and the first place we ought to be is on our knees seeking Him, asking for His wisdom, asking for His help, asking for His direction. I am your servant and your son. Come up and save me. Ahia surrenders to one enemy in order to defeat another. This is so foolish. He's got two. He's got the, his own family, in a sense, descendants of Israel and, and Syria coming against him. So he aligns with another godless nation so he can defeat the two nations that are coming against him. And again, it's like if you're struggling in two areas of your life and then you run to something even more sinful. And that's exactly what's taking place here. Guys, we run to the Lord and nowhere else. Clearly places Ahaz as a, someone who's a servant. He should have cried out again, to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He should have cried out to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the same king of Assyria who had already come against Israel in 2 Kings 15, as we saw last time, and took a thousand talents, and, and they came against the northern kingdom again at the end of the chapter, taking many of the northern cities away from Israel, and now this guy runs to him for help. We can tell a lot about where you are spiritually, again, by where you turn to when you're going through difficulty. I'm going through the most difficult time of my life. It's a thousand times worse than anything I've dealt with. And I know there's many other people in this room that have gone through the same thing. And I want to tell you, there's no way I'd be able to do this without the Lord. It would be impossible. Amen? And guys, he's a faithful God. He's the God of all comfort. He's almighty, all-knowing, and all-powerful. 
He knew before the foundation of the world that we'd have our son for 28 years and then he would take him home. And you know what? I need to trust that God knows what he's doing. He's wiser than I'll ever be. Amen. And so why would we run? Why would you run to the world and get, you know, and ask for someone else's help? Ask for the world to help you when the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and the veil has been torn and you can enter into God's presence anywhere and anytime. Amen. Guys, I want to encourage all of us. That's where we need to run. Run to the Lord. It wasn't just because Ahab's troubles with Israel and Syria that he called for help. Tells us in 2 Chronicles, we get more detail. King Ahaz sent to the kings of Assyria to help him, for again the Edomites had come and attacked Judah and carried away captives. And the Philistines had also inv- invaded the cities of the lowland of the south of Judah and been taken, Beth Shemesh had been taken away. Elijah, uh, Gadaroth, Soka with its villages, Timnah with, uh, with its villages, Gizma with its villages. And it says, For the Lord brought Judah low because of Ahaz. So he was doing evil. And he was offering sacrifices of his children. And sometimes it looks like God's letting people get away with something. Have you ever been frustrated because you see somebody who's living such an ungodly life and from the world's perspective, they seem to be doing really well? And then you're struggling. I had a guy tell me one time when I was uh, at Calvary San Jose, I was doing the men's ministry there. He goes, I just want, would love God to just make me super rich so I could just at least experience what it's like. And he was bitter because this was during the time when everything was popping in, in uh, Silicon Valley and there were people in the church becoming millionaires overnight. And he was like, how come I don't? I said, you know why? Because you would care about it too much. Amen? Because that's something you're passionate about. Take that same passion and point it toward the Lord. Amen? Take the amount of time you're studying the stock market and open up your Bible. Again, nothing wrong with investing. There's nothing wrong with you know, some of those things, but they should not come before the Lord. So we see that all the details here are, it's not just those two nations, but all these nations are coming and God is bringing righteous judgment. Now, why does God do that? Because he loves us. See, the Lord, those who the Lord loves, he what? He disciplines or chastens. Now, why does he do that? Because what is discipline, what is it meant to do? To bring us back to where we belong. Amen. So praise God. So here's Ahaz, all these things are happening. And it's, and again, it, every time they're, they're defeated, every village that's captured and taken away, every time civilians are removed from him, every time some of his people die, it's another opportunity and another opportunity and another opportunity to get on his knees and cry out to the true and living God. Maybe you're here and you've been going through a lot of trials and you wonder why all the trials keep coming you know what? Maybe it's time to get on your knees. Amen. Maybe it's time to stop and be still and know that he is God. Ahaz was not only an ungodly king, but he was setting a horrible example for others. First Corinthians says this, your, your glorying is not God. Do you not know a little leaven leavens the whole lump? If others see you doing some bad thing and getting away with it, they're likely to say, I can probably get away with that too. There's several things that I have as convictions in my life as a pastor, and I believe, you know, you can disagree with me, and, and it's, it's, it's not a point of salvation. I just don't believe pastors should drink alcohol, period. Period. The Bible says not given to wine. 
Not given to much wine when it talks about deacons, not given to wine, period. Pastor Dave's opinion. But you know what? I'd rather err on the side of holiness because if somebody who struggles with alcohol walks into a Mexican restaurant and Pastor Dave and his wife are drinking a margarita, I might stumble somebody. Amen? And I've learned that if you don't drink the first drink, it's impossible to get drunk. Amen? Be not drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, they call alcohol spirits. We don't need spirits, we need the Spirit, amen? But that's that conviction that we should have that comes from the Lord, and we want to be faithful to that. And we want to be an example that others can follow. Not, to, not so eyes will be on us, but so they can see, wow, if God can take someone like him and someone like her and turn their life around, he can do the same for me, Amen? That's our testimony. Ahaz was doing just the opposite. He was such an ungodly man, he was drawing people away from the Lord. Now watch what else he does. This guy's a train wreck. Verse eight, it says, and Ahaz took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of the Lord and the treasuries of God's house and sent it as a present to the king of Assyria. So he takes the things that are used for the worship of the true and living God and gives it to an idol-worshiping king. So it's no wonder his nation is being ravaged. No wonder he's in this place of despair, this place of destruction all around him because he has turned his back on God to the point where he takes the very things that were used for the worship of the Lord to make sacrifices. So the gold and silver that was within the temple removed it and gave it to the Assyrian king. So tragic. King of Assyria, essentially Ahaz made Judah a subject to Assyria. This is God's people, and he made them subject to an idol-worshiping, demonic king. We can only wonder what blessing might have come if Ahaz would have surrendered and sacrificed to the Lord with the same energy and wholehearted he surrendered to the Assyrian king. When someone appeals to God saying, I am your servant and your son, come and save me, God answers. Amen? If he got on his face and said, I am your son and I am your servant, God help. Who's ever prayed that prayer besides me? I pray it often. I want to encourage you. If you haven't gotten down on your knees lately, I want to encourage you to do it. Not that getting on your knees is more, you can, you can pray while driving in the car. Keep your eyes open. But you can pray while driving in the car. You know, the bell's been torn. We, should, we can worship anywhere. But I found for me when I just get on my knees or lay on the ground face down and I pray and I cry out to the Lord. I'm not distracted. I'm not thinking about anything else. My focus is wholly on the Lord. And you know what? It's a good thing. And you know what? Instead, he went to an ungodly king and said, I'm your son. Let me follow you. You may not cry that out, but it may show in your actions. It may show that where you spend your time, where your treasures, there your heart will be also. What is the priority? How do you spend your time every day? How different one is his great ancestor, David. In my distress, he said, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. That's what David did. He said, I called upon the Lord. I cried out to my God. Even his wicked grandson Manasseh sought the Lord, his God, when he was in affliction. But Ahaz seemed determined to fill up the measure of his sins to overflowing. Verse 9. And it says there, so the king of Assyria heeded him, for the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and took it and carried its people captive to Ker and killed Razin. Now again, he killed the head of the king of Syria. He was wiping out other lands. Look at this bloodbath that's going on all around him. 
and the middle of it, we don't see him pray one time. When he goes into the temple, it's only to loot it. We're going to see that he closes up the, the way to go to the temple and have access. This man is so far from God. And I want to say this for all of us. The Bible tells us to forsake not the gathering yourselves together and all the more as the day approaches. And I'm preaching to the choir you're here on Thursday night. But what happens is one of the things the enemy does is he isolates you and gets you out of fellowship and gets you away from the word of God and gets you away from God's people. Here's Ahaz. He is so far away from God that God's not even entering his thoughts. And the tragic part is we're about to see a man who should have stood against him who will not. Second Chronicles, it says, for Ahaz took part of the treasures from the house of the Lord, from the house of the king and from the leaders and he gave it to the king of Assyria, but he did not help him. All Ahaz got out of this was a little false relief. Here's what the enemy will do. If you just, you know what, I know you're struggling. Go out and get a six pack and just wash your cares away. And you think, well, that'll help me for the moment. No, you know what it does? It doesn't, it may seem to help you for a moment. All it does is give you a greater problem. Amen. And as you continue to turn to anything but the Lord for answers, you get more and more in bondage to the thing you turn to. Amen? Drugs, alcohol, pornography, uh, money, whatever it is. And when you chase after that to find your relief there, you become, bo you become in bondage to that. But when you seek the Lord, when you cry out to him, you have intimate fellowship with the creator of the universe and he pours out his spirit upon you. Deceitful help. Ahaz was trusting in the flesh instead of trusting in the Lord. It kind of looked like it worked, kind of, but in the end, it will hurt him more than help him. Temporary deliverance leads to long-term bondage. I'll give you some just quick examples. Dating an unbeliever. Oh, I'm going to fix him. I'll bring him to church. Then he'll get right with God. Guys, obey God. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Amen? I had a friend that was a Christian, and we, this was back in the 80s when I was in college. We worked graveyard shift, and this guy was, on, was taking speed to stay awake. And he kept taking every day. I'm like, bro, dude. He's like, dude, I'm getting more work done than you. I'm, you know, I'm, he's just, I'm, I'm wide awake, man. I'm not tired at all. And I'm like, bro, crash is coming, bro. Amen? And then I remember I called this house and I take him to the hospital. His heart was beating so fast. And so he was looking for a temporary way to stay busy because we were both going to college. We we're both playing football and we were working graveyards. I have no idea how you do that. It's called being 19. Amen. And we we're doing all this and, we, and he was doing it to make money and he just crashed and he ends up in the hospital. And see what the enemy does is he, he tries to entice you with something that will bring a temporary relief. But again, in the end, it brings about a long-term bondage. Heeding worldly counsel over God's word, seeking after things that the world has to offer. So point number two there, trusting the Lord or pursuing the world. King Ahaz is clearly just so taken after the world, has nothing to do with following the Lord, and things are about to go from bad to worse. Look what it says in verse 10. Now, King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tilgath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and saw an altar that was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent 
Urijah, the priest, the design of the altar and the patim according to its workmanship. So he goes to visit the Assyrian king, the godless idol worshiper, the demonic country that he lives in, and he sees an altar they used to worship, and, he's, and he sketches it out. And they sends it back to his priest and says, build me one of those. So he's taking the things away from worship of the true and living God and then asking him to build something in the likeness of the altar to a false god. He's replacing the true and living God with a false god and he wants it built in Jerusalem in the, right at the outskirts of the temple. It's a, how far away can this guy get? He beats Ahab, I think. I think this guy might be the most evil king ever. He saw the altar. You know what he did? He saw something pretty that the world had and he wanted it. None of you have ever done that. You know, you see something in the world and you get enticed by it. And again, it's okay to own things as long as you know that that's not the priority and passion of your life. Amen. Where treasures there, your heart will be also. But he sees this altar. He's the king and he sends it. Now, what should the high priest do right about now? What should he do? Don't be shy. What should he do? No. Amen. Hey, king, not doing it. Do you remember when Uzziah went in and he was going to make the, he ends up doing it. He was trying to make the sacrifice in the place of the high priest. What did the priest tell him? No. They literally tried to stop him. And King Uzziah did it anyway. So now you're the, you know, you're the priest. Almost nobody, you know, the, the king has gotten so far away from God. And he sends you back a drawing and says, make me this for an altar. And this is where we don't obey the king. Amen. If they ever tell us not to have church ever again, under any circumstances, the answer is no. Amen? No. Well, you can't have church. No. Sorry. Doing it anyway. Amen? Why? Forsake not the gathering yourselves together. So we're not going to let, we will pay our taxes. Pay your taxes? We need to pay our taxes. Do things that, you know, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Be honorable. But when they tell us to disobey God, if they send us a sketch of an altar and say, you know, make one of those, no. Sadly, we're going to see that this priest is not as devoted or as determined as the priest who wanted to stop Uzziah. It says in 2 Chronicles, now in the time of distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. This is that King Ahaz, for he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, saying, because the, God, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and all Israel. He looked at them and said, wow, they seem to have a wonderful life. They seem to have victory. So I'm going to worship their gods instead of the true and living God. We live in a time now we can be caught up in that. Ahaz is thinking that since the Syrians were trouble to him, that their gods must be better than his. The only way you would ever think that another God is better than yours is if you don't know our God. Amen. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Ahaz is leading Judah further and further and further away 
from the Lord. He's been struggling because God had brought trouble against him because of his idolatry, but instead of repenting, he responded by making things worse. We can all do that in life where we're going through a difficult time. I've had people say to me, and if it's, Pastor Dave, you've been a pastor 33 years. Why in the world would the Lord take your son? You've been so faithful to serve God. What kind of God is that? I'm like, a God who loves my son enough to take him to heaven because it was his time. Amen. Guys, we need to have an eternal perspective. We need to trust in the character and the sovereignty of our God. And we need not question or doubt him. Amen. And here he is. He sends us back as, well, your God seemed to be more powerful. Dude, you're not getting wiped out because their gods are more powerful. You're getting wiped out because you're disobeying the true and living God and rebelling against him. Amen. The next time we think that it's something else, let's check where we are with the Lord. Look at verse 11. Then Uriah, the priest, what does it say? Built an altar according to all King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Uriah, the priest, made it before King Ahaz came back from Damascus. So he sends him a pattern for this altar. And what does he do? Okay, he makes it. Now Uriah, in a sense, is the spiritual connection between the people of Israel and Almighty God. High priest is a picture of Jesus. Because what do they do? They intercede with the people on behalf of God and with God on behalf of the people. It's the high priest who's the only one that can enter the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. So it's a picture of who Christ is. And here is this man who, in a sense, is the spiritual leader of Israel. And instead of saying no, instead of making a stand, he does what the king tells him to do. And again, we need to have believers that aren't arrogant, aren't self-righteous, aren't jerks, amen, but we make a stand for the Lord no matter what the world says, amen? And the sad part is, this looks to me like the modern church. There's a lot of churches today where the movement comes in and says, this is what we believe now, and this is what we're going to do, and everybody just goes along with it. And you know why that happens? They're biblically illiterate. Amen? There's churches that used to have crosses that now have gay pride flags on the back of their podium. You know, there's churches that used to believe in the true and living God and worship the true and living God. But here's what happens. When you get away from the word of God, that movement becomes, uh, you know, a memorial and your buildings become monuments to what once was. I was going to do a wedding a while back in one of the local churches have a homosexual pastor. They don't believe that Jesus is God. It's a total train wreck. And they were going to give money to them for a wedding. I'm like, don't you give them any money. I'd rather get married in a field. Amen. <laughs> Seriously. And I'm like, she's like, yeah, they're really struggling. I hope they go under. Where's their building? Maybe we can get it. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And so, so, so here's, you know, King Ahaz and he tells the priest and he makes the altar. Lord, help. Are there any godly people? Where are, the, where are they? When the high priest is, is following in the footsteps. Too many churches today put trust in, you know, let's make it shiny. Let's make it, let's make it convenient. Let's make it something that will attract a crowd. And we'll, don't talk about sin. That'll offend them. Don't tell them they need to be saved because they won't like that. Don't ever talk about hell. 
But you know what? We're going to obey God. Amen? Rarely does a week go by again that I don't get a call or an email telling me how to make our church better, and it's always by compromise, and we're not going to do that. So, of course, Ahaz bears the greater blame for this, but Uriah also bears significant blame because he could have said no. Look, he might have thought he was going to get killed if he said no, but there needs to come a place where if we're going to get killed for saying no, we still say no. Amen? To live is Christ, to die is gain. You can't threaten us with heaven. Amen? Guess what? I want to go to heaven now more than ever because my son's there and he's going to show me around. Amen? You know, the more people that we have in heaven, the more we want to be there. Amen? And guess what? It's coming soon. Trust the Lord and his word. Don't trust men. Careful whose example you follow. Uriah could have made a stand for the Lord. Instead, they followed the pattern of the world. They built an altar that was shiny and new that they thought might draw people. It says, and when the king came back from Damascus, verse 12, and the king saw the altar, the king approached the altar and made offerings on it. So he he burned his burnt offering and his grain offering, and he poured his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of his peace offerings on the altar. Now, what's amazing about this, who's making the sacrifices? King Ahaz. Is the king supposed to make sacrifices? What's the answer? Again, he's biblically, he doesn't even know, he doesn't understand anything. This guy's a train wreck. Why? Remember that when Uzziah did it, God struck him with leprosy. And this was just the generation before him. And what does he do? He puts up a false altar and he starts making all the sacrifices that should have been made to the true and living God. And he's making them on this false altar. Some of us are making the sacrifice of devoting our time, our passions, our desires to all the things of this world that are passing away, all the false gods of this world, and we give little or no time to the true and the living God. Ahab served as priest on the altar of his own design. Since he created its own place of worship, it also made sense that he would disregard God's command that a king must not serve as a priest. There's only one who's ever been a priest and a prophet, and a king. What's his name? It's that. They were always separated until Jesus came. Look what it says here. Now this is even, this is getting more tragic. He also brought the bronze altar, which was before the Lord from the front of the temple, from between the new altar and the house of the Lord, and he put it on the north side of the new altar. So here's the altar. The bronze altar is a picture of the cross. I don't have time to go through it, but When you look at the tabernacle or the temple, it all points to Jesus. The bronze altar had four points to it. And they would tie the sacrifice down and shed its blood and put its blood on the four points of the altar. Again, when Jesus head, hands, feet, amen. So it's a picture of the cross. It's actually the perfect size for man to lay down on. And behind that bronze altar was the bronze laver. And it was there they would go and cleanse themselves, all the blood that they had made in the sacrifice. And they would cleanse themselves and they'd see the reflection in it. And again, it's a picture of, of baptism or the Holy Spirit coming upon us. Then they go into the holy place. And on the left side, you had the, the uh, table of showbread. 
And, on, and the table of showbread is Jesus is the bread of life. And they were changing the bread. It was actually on the right side. On the left-hand side, you had the, the, what, you know, the menorah, right? The golden lampstand. Jesus is the light of the world. Then you went in further in and just outside the Holy of Holies was the altar of incense where incense burnt 24 hours a day. And it would go over that curtain and into the holy place. Well, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father ever making intercession for us. Amen? Then you go into the Holy of Holies and there's the Ark of the Covenant. Again, a box, not a boat. Amen? The Ark of the Covenant. And in the ark was, in, was gold, and inside it were three things. Again, a jar of manna, because he's the bread of life. Aaron's rod that budded, because he's the great high priest. And the, the tablets, the word of God, because he is the word. And then on top of that was the, the mercy seat, because see, if you look directly into the word and you don't have the mercy of God, we're doomed. But the, it shows us that we're sinners and God by his mercy pours that out upon us. It redeems us. And on top of the mercy seat, you have the two cherubim or angels, their wings touching in the middle. And on that day, that one day of atonement on Yom Kippur, the high priest would go in there and he'd take the blood of the lamb and he would sprinkle it in the middle between those two cherubim. What's amazing about that is when Jesus rose from the dead, when Mary came into the tomb that day and the apostles later, what did they see? Angels on each end and the bloodstained cloth in the middle because the Ark of the Covenant always pointed to Jesus. And here he is taking the bronze altar and moving it. Well, that's not important. Stick it in the back. Get that out of here. Again, reminds me so much of, the, of a lot of the modern church. The cross is not important anymore. The cross is not as relevant as being culturally relevant. We're compromising and we call it tolerance, amen? Instead of you know, pointing people to the cross of Calvary, we're pointing people to anything else. Can't come your own way. There's only one way and Jesus is the only way. And he takes the bronze altar and he hides it in the back. So tragic, verse 15. Then King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest saying, on the great new altar, burn the morning burnt offering and the evening grain offering and the king's burnt sacrifice and his grain offering with the burnt offering of all the land, their grain offering and their drink offering and sprinkle on it all the blood of the burnt offering and all the... Uh, blood of the sacrifice and the bronze altar shall be for me to inquire by. He said, look, the bronze altar, that's just for me. I want you to make all the sacrifices on this altar to the God of Assyrians. I want you to take all the sacrifices and sacrifice them to this false God. Guys, we live in a time right now where we are so drawn away to invest, focus on, and worship anything but the true King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know, over 80% of Americans, the last poll, it's, it's kind of old, about seven years ago, said they were Christians. If that was true, this would be a different country. Because guys, it's not about what we call ourselves. By your fruit, they shall know you. Amen? And here they are. He's the king of the Israelites. He's the king of Judah. He's the king over Jerusalem. He's the king in the city where the temple dwells and he's taken the bronze altar, the picture of the cross, and he's thrown it aside out of the way and he sets up a false altar to a false God and he has all the sacrifices that belong to the Lord and they're sacrificing him to a dead God that doesn't exist. King Ahaz is just getting worse every time I read a verse. This guy's a mess. Amen? The worship leader should have said, the priest should have said, no, no, I'm not taking the sacrifice. I'm not going to put it on the altar 
to the false gods of Assyria. I'm not doing that. We want you to, you know, worship here. Do it. No. Uriah not only allowed Ahaz to do this, he had participated in his evil and idolatrous plans. And we have too many people that call themselves pastors today that have gotten away from the word of God and given people what they want instead of what they need to hear. Amen? We need to preach the truth and do it without compromise. They disregarded God's word, they disregarded God's command, and they did as the king commanded. We honor those in authority, as I said, the king until he tells us to disobey the commands of God. Uriah was probably afraid of what the king might do if he didn't comply, but we must not allow fear to keep us from obeying God, and we must never put the commands of man above the commands of God. Let's finish up. Verse 17 and 18, point number four, newer isn't always better. Notice it said in verse 16, Then Elijah did as the priest, according to all the king Isaiah commanded. The king Isaiah cut off the panels of the courts, removed the lavers from them. He took down the sea, the bronze oxen and the, that were under it, and put it in the pavement of stones. Also, he removed the Sabbath pavilion that they had built in the temple. He removed the king's outer entrance from the house of the Lord on account of the king of Assyria. He literally is dismantling the temple. He's taking it apart and he's taking everything from it and he's sacrificing it to this false God. Sadly, a place where the true and living God was once worshiped and his word was taught does not mean it will always be that way. Just because the word of God was once taught in a church doesn't mean it will always be that way. Just because this nation was once known as a Christian nation, it does not mean it will always be that way. Amen? And those of us who know the Lord need to be vigilant. And again, love people enough to point them to the truth. He removed the, the Sabbath pavilion. Again, he took away everything from the temple and gave it to the false gods. God has an original design. You know what it says about the temple and the tabernacle in the Bible? It says it's a picture. It's, it's designed after what? Heaven. Amen. So it says it's designed after heaven and they're taking heaven apart and they're taking down the picture of the cross and they're setting it all aside and they're going gung-ho worshiping the false gods and then they wonder why God brings righteous judgment. Guys, we must never fall into that trap. It's happening all around us. Why is it so important to follow God's design? Because God's design had a purpose to show us what heaven was like. It says in Hebrews, who served the copy in the shadow of heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. God gave him the pattern on, on Mount Sinai. Here it is. Here's how you make it. Here's what you do. And here's King Ahaz. We fast forward hundreds of years. He's disregarding anything that God says. He's living his own way. He's tearing down, again, the, the word of God. The, the church is under attack in this country too, you guys. If, you're not, if you don't know that, you're not paying attention. Newer isn't always better. Movements become memorials and buildings become monuments when we stray from the word of God. Last point, worldly success means nothing if you don't know Jesus. Now, the rest of the acts of Ahaz which he did. Are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Ahaz rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Hezekiah reigned 
in its place. What's interesting, when you look at Chronicles, it says, so Ahaz rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city in Jerusalem, but they did not bring him into the tombs of the kings of Israel. Once he died, he was not given an honorable king's death. He was put somewhere else. And more importantly, he had to answer to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Apparently, there was still some sense of decency among the people in not burying this wicked king amongst the place of honor. So this ends the reign of the worst king in Judah. Micah, who prophesied of the reign of Ahaz, describes this man who works to successfully do evil with both hands. The idea that this man pursues evil with all effort with both his hands, he may very well, again, have had King Ahaz in mind. Yet in many ways, in our generation, he might have been popular. Let me explain, explain why I think that. Here's some things that uh, I wrote down. He seemed to be impressed with technology and apparently introducing the Babylon innovation of the sundial in Jerusalem. We say that in 2 Kings chapter 20. So he's going to be doing things that seem radical and new and exciting. He was in love with innovation and new things and doesn't hesitate to bring innovations into worship. Again, uh, he was a nice man and that he did not, we don't see him anywhere putting people to death but we will see his grandson persecuting even the prophets of God. Ahaz had an advantage over many, had many great prophets and messengers. God had delivered him uh, when he was under attack. He had a godly heritage. He had a great resume to be a pastor of, of a new church from the outside looking in. But when you look at where he is spiritually, this guy is the worst king that Judah ever, ever had. Innovation's not bad, but it's a it's a disaster when it takes the place of our Lord. So you got to serve somebody. The depths of the depravity of man to the point where they're burning babies as an act of worship. Today, you could say it's an act of worship towards infidelity and adultery, that when a baby comes from that, they just get rid of the child and it's, it's an act of depravity. Trusting in the Lord or pursuing the world, we're all serving somebody. If we're not serving the Lord, we're serving the world. While where your treasures, there your heart will be also. And remember, temporary fleshly deliverance leads to long-term bondage. That thing that gives you a moment of escape will lead to long-term bondage. Number three, drawing closer to the Lord or further away from him. If you trust in the Lord and his word, not the ungodly examples of man, there is no substitute for the cross. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him, but Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. Newer isn't always better. Oh, you gotta come up with a new plan to reach people. No, we don't. We just need to simply teach the truth simply, amen? We just need to teach the whole counsel of God. We need to let the word of God out need to let the Holy Spirit do what he does and watch what God will do. Amen. We don't need the newest gizmo, the newest gimmick. There are things we can use. We're using, uh, you know, technology to have the word of God go out. And those things are wonderful as long as it doesn't alter the message. Amen. And then finally, worldly success means nothing if you don't know Jesus. See, from some, from the outside, it appeared maybe that Ahaz was doing a lot of new and great things, but in the end, he did not, Jesus hadn't come yet, of course, but he did not know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and in the end, that's all that matters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you for your word, and Lord, our hearts grieve tonight. My heart grieves tonight for so many who go to places where 
the bronze altar has been stuck in the back where something else has replaced the truth of your word. So many places that call themselves churches have become religious country clubs or place of political activism and the word of God is not being preached. The word of God is even being mocked. Lord, we pray that you would bring revival to our nation, but Lord, start in our hearts first. Begin with us. Help us to love you above all else. Help us to be unashamed of the gospel. Help us to pray for divine appointments every day and opportunities to speak into the lives of people that need you. We know we're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Lord, without you, Therefore, the grace of God goes every one of us. We could all be a King Ahaz if we didn't know you. But because we know you, we've been set free. We're born again. We have the promise of eternal life. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said.